One September day this year, two planes lifted off the ground minutes apart. One plane took off from Canada and headed toward China. It carried a Chinese woman named Meng Wanzhou, an executive at Huawei and the daughter of the company's CEO. The other plane was flying from China to Canada. It carried two Canadian men, a businessman named Michael Spaver and a diplomat on leave named Michael Kovrig. These three people had been detained for more than a thousand days. The Canadians in China and the Chinese woman in Canada. And their flights back to their home countries marked the end of a three-year standoff that also involved another country, the United States. Our colleague Jackie McNish has been following the story. I think what I find most interesting about this story is the intrigue. There is intrigue at every level. Intrigue in terms of government relations. Intrigue in terms of trade. Intrigue in terms of the way the FBI operated on this case. Welcome to The Journal, our show about money, business, and power. I'm Kate Leinbaugh. It's Wednesday, October 6th. Coming up on the show, the story of three people who got caught up in a high-stakes battle between the U.S. and China. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash journal. Terms and conditions apply. This story started in 2018. It was a time of tense relations between the U.S. and China, The countries were at odds on a number of fronts. Intellectual property theft, human rights, territorial conflicts. That year, then-President Donald Trump had also started a trade war with China. And there was one company in particular that often got caught in the crossfire. Huawei. Huawei is the world's largest telecom equipment maker. It has a huge presence around the world, especially in developing countries. But it's also controversial. It's controversial in the eyes of the United States and in the eyes of security officials around the world. There has this lingering concern that somehow, and in some cases, the telecommunications equipment, the radio signals, there's a backdoor which allows them to spy. None of this has been definitively proved. Huawei has denied this vehemently, but it is a concern. Many of the leading Western countries, Australia, the United States, Britain, very concerned about ongoing use of that equipment. And is it a private company as opposed to a state-owned company? Yes, and that is an important question because the U.S. has made a number of arguments that it is effectively beholden to the state. Again, Huawei has denied this. In 2018, U.S. law enforcement was investigating the actions of Huawei finance chief Meng Wanzhou. Despite her high position at one of China's biggest tech companies, Meng wasn't very well known. 
That is, until December 1st, 2018. Meng Wanzhou was on her way to Argentina, where Huawei was having a very large branch manager's meeting. And we know in great detail what her footsteps were to get to Canada, because the FBI provided information to the Canadian RCMP. RCMP is Canadian law enforcement. So Meng flew from Hong Kong to Vancouver. She arrived in the morning of December 1. And we now know from court documents that the FBI had observers, obviously, at the airport because they were able to describe what she was wearing, white T-shirt, black pants, white shoes. And she was accompanied by a female companion. And they took great pains to make it appear when she arrived that there was nothing out of the ordinary happening. What they did was that they set up a passport check kiosk outside the gate of where her plane was disembarking. Everyone was disembarking. She was going to walk through the airport and catch a flight to Mexico. They did this deliberately not to raise suspicion on her part. We understand from the notes that the RCMP filed with the court. Law enforcement officers approached Mung as she got off the plane. They get to her and her companion and they say, could you come with us, please? They take her to border control and they say, we just want to check a couple of things. They ask her for the password to her phones. They ask her for the password to her laptops. She gives it to them. And then she's taken to the RCMP in the airport. She's asked a lot of questions. They said, do you do business in Iran? And do you do business that violates U.S. sanctions? And I don't know what's going through her mind, but these are very odd questions for Canadian police to be asking a Huawei official. And at the end, they told her that she was being arrested on behalf of the United States, which was seeking to extradite her. Why was she arrested? What were the charges? Well, we didn't know at the time. That came out in bits and pieces over the various court hearings. But it wasn't until more than a month later that the United States released its indictment. And in its indictment, it alleged that Meng Wanzhou lied to a syndicate of banks about Huawei's business in Iran. And the U.S. alleges it was doing business with Iran in violation of U.S. sanctions against that country and that she was not forthcoming. And as a result, banks processed hundreds of millions of dollars of transactions, potentially in violation of Iranian trade sanctions. Meng was charged with wire fraud and bank fraud in the U.S. She and her lawyers denied these charges. At the time, a Huawei spokesman said the company complies with laws and regulations everywhere it operates. And at the time, the U.S. was also alleging pretty serious things against Huawei. What was the U.S. government saying, and how did that fit into Meng's arrest? I can't draw a hard line to Meng. All I can say is that they had a lot of concerns about Huawei's conduct, Huawei's dominance in the world, and there were allegations that they were stealing technology secrets from some American companies. There were a lot of geopolitical tensions. The day that Meng Wanzhou's arrest was revealed, she became the face of those global tensions. The arrest of Meng Wanzhou had all the appearances of being another arrow in the quiver of the U.S. government under Trump in its efforts 
to constrain China's economic power. After Meng was arrested, the Chinese government was furious. The response from China's government has been swift and angry. It says her human rights have been harmed, wants her immediate release and a reason for her arrest. Shortly after, China retaliated. Nine days later, a Canadian by the name of Michael Spavor, who spent a lot of time promoting economic opportunity, tourism, business investment in North Korea. He was at an airport in China and was detained by border officials, phoned the Canadian consulate in Beijing and said, I'm having trouble with border officials. It's the last they heard from him. Later that evening in Beijing, Michael Kolvrig, who was a former diplomat with the Canadian embassy, and was at that point doing research in China. And that same evening, he was walking home with a friend on the streets of Beijing, and he was picked up by what we believe were security officials and was not seen again. The second Canadian man has been detained in China. China claims businessman Michael Spavor, uh, as well as former diplomat Michael Kovrig, are suspected of undermining China's national security. It follows the arrest by Canada of one Meng Wanzhou. She's the head of Huawei, financial head, at the request of the United States. Dave Lee is following The Chinese government accused the two Canadian men of being spies. Canadian officials said the detentions were arbitrary and called for their release. And why was it Canadians who were arrested and not Americans? Canada's a middle power. It's a small player on the world scene. China can beat it up and not have to worry about a powerful reaction, either in terms of trade, military, gathering other powers against China. Canada doesn't have much clout internationally. The United States is a huge superpower. So after these two Canadian men were detained, what happened to them? What we now know is they were both taken. They were put into a system in China known as residential surveillance, where they are placed in black houses, which are not prisons, are not government facilities, just these rogue buildings where both of them in different locations were incarcerated in these black homes, these black houses, and subject to constant interrogations. They were sequestered in small rooms, often under observation of guards in the same room, and woken constantly and interrogated about what they did. It's not part of a prison system. It's not part of a regulated judicial system. They are just literally in a dark place with no rights and very, very difficult strobe lights at night. After several months, they were each placed in jail. They were allowed to get letters once a month from their families. The only visit that they were allowed was consular visits. I believe it was once every few months. All those were cut off during COVID. Michael Kovrig, according to his wife, had no idea about the coronavirus. He had no idea that the world was undergoing this huge pandemic until they were able to have a phone call over a year ago, the family. The first time he had talked to his family, he had no idea what was going on in the world, completely in the dark. It's hard to fathom. Yes. Michael was in a small prison, mostly by himself, and he walked 7,000 steps every day. One of his favorite songs, according to his wife, was Paul Simon's The Sound of Silence. It was really, really rough for him that first year. 
Meanwhile, back in Vancouver, Meng Wanzhou, the Huawei executive, was also stuck, but in very different conditions than the Canadian Michaels. She was released on bail. Under the terms, she had to stay in the Vancouver area, she had to wear an ankle bracelet, and the court appointed a security team that tracked her movements. So she lived in her own house, a mansion in one of Vancouver's most affluent neighborhoods. People familiar with Meng's situation say she found ways to keep herself busy. She was taking English lessons remotely with a British tutor. She's exercised doing the Zumba dance exercise. And she just really tried to keep busy and try to stay focused at a time she was very, very sad. Senior people from Huawei and a large team of Canadian and American lawyers and Chinese lawyers that came in lived in her neighborhood, and their job was to help keep her going because it was very difficult for her. I mean, it is a very privileged position that she was in relative to the position of the two Michaels, the Canadians, that suffered enormous deprivation in China. But you know what? Meng Wanzhou was arrested under the rule of law. The two Michaels, arguably, were arrested in a very different set of circumstances outside the rule of law and submitted to conditions that have been likened to torture. After the break, how Meng and the two Michaels made it home. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash journal. Terms and conditions apply. This episode of The Journal is brought to you by KPMG. At KPMG, we make the difference. It's not just something we say, it's what we do. We work closely with clients to uncover insights that illuminate opportunity, develop bold solutions that innovate industries, and create better outcomes driven by data. Brighter insights, bolder solutions, better outcomes. It's how our people make the difference. KPMG, make the difference. When President Biden took office, it had been two years since Hmong and the Canadians had been detained. And world leaders were starting to speak out about freeing the two Michaels. Pressure was mounting, and what Canada had to say didn't matter to China, but it mattered that Britain, the United States, were speaking out against their circumstances. Even the United States Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken, gave a public message calling for the release of the two Michaels. Uh, Using people, human beings as pawns uh, for political purposes, it is totally unacceptable conduct by any country. And so we stand strongly with Canada when it comes uh, to the need to see the two Michaels released immediately uh, and unconditionally. We will continue. The problem was the U.S. Justice Department wasn't willing to give up its extradition request until Hmong admitted to wrongdoing that she had violated U.S. sanctions law by working with a bank that did business with Iran. Since her arrest, she and her legal team had refused to do that. The legal team felt that she had done nothing wrong. They argued in court that this was a political move. It was not legal. 
and that she was a bargaining chip and that there was no basis for her to be extradited because the U.S. had a very weak case against her. So that was always their argument, and their strategy was to continue pushing ahead. But that stance started to change this summer. Meng had been fighting in Canadian court to stop her extradition. And in August, the judge was getting closer to making a decision. If the judge ruled against her, she would be handed over to U.S. authorities, which she didn't want. And because Canadian courts rarely block an extradition to the U.S., it appeared Meng would likely be extradited. So the morning of September 24th, she struck a deal and agreed to admit to wrongdoing in exchange for the U.S. government deferring prosecution against her, which effectively meant she was free to go. She walked out of the court gave her first public statement, thanking Canada, among many things, including its respect for the rule of law. Firstly, I'd like to thank the Honorable Associate Chief Justice Holmes for her fairness in the whole legal proceedings. I also appreciate the Quan for their professionalism and the Canadian government for upholding the rule of law. And she was taken in a convoy of SUVs to the airport in Vancouver, where an Air China plane was waiting to take her home with the Chinese ambassador. And she started flying home. Later that evening, Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau got on TV. About 12 minutes ago, the aircraft carrying Michael Kovrig and Michael Spavor left Chinese airspace and they're on their way home. Then they were flown to Calgary, where Michael Spavor was from. And there's this great picture, because they arrived in Calgary at 5 in the morning, shortly after 5 in the morning, and the sun is just starting to break out. And there's Michael Kovrig on the tarmac in a push-up position, kissing the ground. And when Michael Kovrig lands in Toronto, there's just his wife and his sister on the tarmac and a clutch of reporters, and he goes up to them and just said, I am so happy to be home. I'm so thankful for everyone's support. Thank you. And he walks off. A surprise announcement on a Friday night. News the country had been waiting for. After 1,020 days in Chinese detention, there will not be a day 1,021. And in China... Meng Wanzhou arrived home to a hero's welcome. Videos show thousands and thousands of people crowding the airport with their Huawei phones, waving them in the air. She gets off the plane. She is deluged with bouquets and greeting and song. So now, after like almost three years, Meng and the Michaels are back at home. What do you make of this whole saga? I think I find the story of the two flights the most compelling moment in this whole three-year odyssey. There's one plane in Vancouver that she gets on, she lifts off, and within minutes, two men who've been held in very difficult conditions in China get on a plane. And these two planes, one's pointed to China, the other one's pointed to Canada, And what I understand from my reporting is China has engaged in hostage diplomacy here. And the the drama around that I find extraordinary. 
China denies that it engaged in hostage diplomacy. It says that Meng was detained in Canada illegally, and the two Canadians had committed crimes in China. That's all for today, Wednesday, October 5th. Thanks to James Arity, Dan Strumpf, and Aruna Vishwanatha for their reporting on this story. The Journal is a co-production of Gimlet and The Wall Street Journal. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow.